way. But um, does anyone have a nickname? Not, I'm not asking you to share it. It could be quite personal. It could be quite embarrassing. It could be quite unusual. <clears throat> There's a lot of famous people who have uh, nicknames. So you might be familiar with Ryan Gosling, a Hollywood actor, bunch of movies. His nickname is, <clears throat> apparently his friends call him this, Mouse Boy. Because he was in the Mickey Mouse Club TV show, I don't know if you remember that, and that's kind of what made him famous, and so his friends kind of call him that. Hugh Jackman, anybody know what his nickname is? It's not the Wolverine, in case you're wondering. Uh, his nickname, apparently his friends call him Sticks, because when he was younger in Australia he had very skinny legs. Doesn't have skinny legs now. He is ripped, that guy. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the most famous footballers in the world. You've got no idea what his nickname is. His teammates call him Crybaby <laughs> because he is quite quick to tears when things don't go his way, apparently. I don't know if I'd cry that much if I had that much money, but he certainly does. Uh, Hollywood actress Mila Kunis, she is known uh, by her friends as Goldfish because she's got a very short attention span. Now, I don't know if her lines are really short, like learning her lines. It must be very hard for her to learn a long speech or something. Maybe you know this guy, Tony Blair, former PM of uh, England. His nickname by his political opponents was Teflon Tony, because he was always able to weasel his way out of a um, political predicament and keep, him, keep his reputation relatively clear. You definitely know this lady's nickname. All right, the Iron Lady, okay? Very decisive and determined lady. Or this guy has been pretty popular. His nickname, Chippy. Do you know why? Because it's sort of a... It's not because he's a builder uh, in a former life. It's because it's a kind of a combo of his first and his last name. And a bit of abbreviation. Or this guy. I think this guy has, unfortunately, one of the, the worst nicknames. So Chris Pratt, famous uh, actor, TV shows, etc., his nickname is Monkey Boy, <clears throat> because when he was a kid, apparently his teeth and his ears were really large, but his head was very small. That's unfortunate. His dad called him Monkey Boy. <laughs> I was listening to the radio the other day, and there was um, sort of a competition of people who you knew of uh, and the nicknames that they had. And so these are apparently true nicknames for people in New Zealand. Uh, there's no way for me to prove this, but this is uh, apparently what it is. So there's a guy uh, at one workplace and he had half an ear missing, and so his workmates called him 18 months because he had an ear and a half. <laughs> I did it, okay? Or there was one guy who um, allegedly had a big hand and a smaller hand, so he was called the clock. This is not a joke. This is, pe this is people's nicknames. Uh, one apprentice was called Bluetooth because he couldn't work by himself and always had to be paired up with someone else. <laughs> and then one guy, uh, he fell asleep um, outside on a hot day under a tree, but turns out that the shade didn't quite cover his legs, and so he got really badly sunburned on his legs. So he was called Crab Sticks because on the front of his legs were really red, but on the back were really white. Now, they are some pretty creative nicknames, right? Uh, normally, New Zealanders, when it comes to nicknames, they're quite negative. 
You know, they sort of tend to emphasize a feature or something we've done that <clears throat> that's people like, like to make fun of. But in ancient times, it was very common to have a nickname that was quite positive, that was quite uplifting. It would highlight something, a personal characteristic or some sort of attribute that people wanted to celebrate. So as Tammy said, we're, we're in the midst of a teaching series. We're tracking through this teaching series called Saints and Sinners, and we've been Looking uh, at some people, we've been opening up the Bible and exploring the stories of biblical characters who are in many ways like us. Uh, They go through highs, they go through lows, they have strengths, they have weaknesses, but what we're discovering is that there is something from their example about how to live in a relationship with God. And so I want to introduce you to someone this morning whose nickname was, was very positive. His given name was Joseph, but his nickname was Barnabas. And his story is recorded in the Bible in the book of Acts. So you're most welcome to to follow along if you've got a Bible there, printed or on your phone or whatever. We're going to put some of the the text up on the screen. But let me give you a bit of context. Barnabas bursts onto the scene at at the birth of the Christian church. And it's a remarkable period of unity and also humility amongst those first Christians. And so this is what we read. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And it's right at this moment that we meet Barnabas. This is the next line. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, that's a pretty serious nickname, right? It's, it's not a basic abbreviation. The apostles weren't going, hey, that guy, he looks like a, uh, a Joey or, or a JJ or a Jazza. You know? they, didn't, they didn't nickname, abbreviate his actual name. They completely changed his name. And it's quite a, a heavy expectation to live up to. I mean, being called Barnabas, the son of encouragement. That's uh, uh, literally, you are known as someone who is, is being encouraging. And it turns out that his nickname was very fitting. Barnabas, as his story unfolds, is someone who is very, very encouraging. So look at the next line. For instance, it was Joseph, the one who apostles nicknamed Barnabas. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. <clears throat> he sold a field he owned and bought the money to the apostles. Now, at first glance, that's pretty generous, Right? But it seems to be in line with with the kindness, with the generosity of what other early Christians were doing at the time. But what you need to appreciate is that in the Middle East, land was a premium resource. Ownership of property was was tightly guarded. It was handed down from generation to generation. So in selling land and donating the money to the church, Barnabas is breaking with tradition. He's, he's abandoning his family inheritance. He is giving up his financial independence and his security. But Barnabas was willing to sacrifice for the greater good. He used his property to be a generous giver, to encourage others. And this was a huge encouragement to the early church. I, I actually think that generous givers can still bring huge encouragement today. Perhaps you have brought or sold something and um, you've, maybe you've given away those profits or you've used some of that money to do good for others. If you've ever done that, 
you must know that that's hugely encouraging to those recipients. And, and Christian history is littered with people who, just like Barnabas, they gave up their privileges and their possessions so they could give to others. For example, a lady called St. Teresa of Avelia. She was a, a nun who lived in the 16th century, and, and she renounced significant family wealth so that she could live a simple life where she could travel and teach and help others. Or perhaps this guy you might be familiar with, William Wilberforce, a British politician, social reformer who lived during the 19th century. He generously gave away tens of thousands of pounds each year from his income to support Christian causes and Christian charities. Now, let me make it really clear. I'm not saying that you should sell your house and live under a bush, okay? Or you should sell your car and walk everywhere. I mean, that's not very practical. And it's ridiculously cold to do that, you know, living under a bush. But maybe God is inviting you to, to give a little bit more. Maybe he's putting on your heart perhaps a charity or an organisation. Maybe he's bringing to your mind a person that you know of who's, who's doing things a bit tough. Maybe there's something or someone that you could give a financial gift to. And I know that is really countercultural in the cost of living crisis that everybody's facing. But God is in the business of providing for his people. Look at this. This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Once I was young and now I am old, yet I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. You know, Barnabas knew the truth of that in his life, and his, his generosity encouraged many other Christians. Well, there was one person in particular that Barnabas especially encouraged, and it was a guy called Saul. Later, he was known as Paul. And so when the Christian church was established, many people in the Jewish community saw it as a threat to their way of life. They believed that worshipping Jesus was, was blasphemous, and, and one of the most prominent critics was a Jewish man called Saul. This is what he was up to. Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Pretty angry guy, right? Obviously, he's got some sort of issues going on. But in the next chapter, chapter 9 of Acts, there's this miraculous conversion that Saul experiences. And Jesus turns his life around. And so then Paul is a Christian. But the Christians in Jerusalem refuse to believe that Saul is truly a committed Christian. They think it's some sort of con, some sort of stunt to try and trick them and trap them and for him to lock them up. This is what we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. But look who steps up. Look who extends a very warm welcome. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on his way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. You know, Barnabas 
sponsored Saul. Barnabas was the first to believe that Saul was truly transformed, that, that through, his, through his willingness to support and strengthen Saul, Barnabas was one of the first Christian friends that Saul could rely on. I wonder if you've ever been like Barnabas and, and been a supporter to someone. Perhaps you've, you've maybe met a, a new Christian or someone who's just kind of asking questions and you've been able to, to teach them or, or even to demonstrate you know, what it looks like to live the Christian life. If, if you haven't that, had that experience, I, I need to ask why. Because the Christian life is really about living in community. And for centuries, Christians have realized that we are, we're better together. Together is how we learn and progress. Together is how we grow and develop. Together is how we forgive and how we receive grace. The Christian life is a community life. And here at ABC, we have several home groups uh, where people just sort of walk alongside each other through the highs and through the lows of life. And we're always keen to start new groups. So if you have an interest in that, please talk to myself or, or talk to someone in our leadership team or, or a blue tag. Those home groups, those weekly, fortnightly groups are, are absolutely crucial to encouraging and supporting people in their daily lives. And maybe, maybe just your life is hectic and you're unable to commit to a, a regular group, but perhaps there's one person that you could offer encouragement to. And I'd invite you to prayerfully ask God to guide you to someone that you can make an investment in, that you can strengthen them, that you can support. It doesn't, they don't have to be someone younger than you. They don't even have to be a, a new Christian or even a non-Christian. They can be, but just someone that you can simply bring encouragement to. You can support, you can give advice, maybe you can give some wisdom, or you can listen. And it doesn't have to be a lifelong commitment. <clears throat> just try one off. See how that goes. You be, might be amazed at the end results. Because I'm sure that Barnabas didn't know at the time that his investment in the life of Paul was going to have an unimaginable impact on the history of Christianity. In fact, Barnabas had no idea how his encouragement of Paul was part of God's grand plan to spread the message of Jesus far and wide. So if you flick over a couple of chapters, you'll see in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit directs Christian leaders in the city of Antioch to appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So those two friends, they get commissioned by the church leaders, and then they set off around the eastern corner of the Mediterranean, kind of where we would know as modern-day Turkey. And so they sail to the island of Cyprus, you'll see there on the map, and they preach the gospel message of Jesus in places like Salamis and Paphos, and then they return to the mainland, and they travel inland to the cities of Perga and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And, and on that tour, they witness many miracles. And they see many people become believers, but they also face a number of dangers and difficulties. So in two of those cities, the religious leaders stir up a riot against Paul and Barnabas. And then the city of Lystra, Paul is left for dead by the mob. He's stoned and dragged to the outskirts of the city. And after all of that drama, guess what Paul and Barnabas did next? They went back to the places 
where they had been threatened and troubled. You know, that is, that is probably not something that I would recommend. You know, you've been rioting, left for dead. What do you think we should do? Well, I don't, clearly it wasn't such a great reception at those places. But Paul and Barnabas wanted to encourage the new Christians. Look at what we read. After, um, after preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Poseidon, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Don't, don't you think that's just a little bit crazy? I think Barnabas's enthusiasm to encourage others must have been the driving force behind that return journey. But you also need to know that Barnabas's desire to encourage others did bring with it some difficulties. And I think it's important for us to be aware of this. That despite their shared love of Jesus, despite their commitment to the gospel message, despite their dedication to encourage new believers, Barnabas and Paul had a falling out in their friendship. And maybe you've seen that happen in your own experiences. Two very committed Christians, active in their faith, believing the same kind of core doctrines, but they have different perspectives on a particular issue and that just, just drives them apart. And the issue that split Barnabas and Paul was really the question of the second chance. So on their first journey, which we've just looked at, they took Barnabas's nephew, a guy called John Mark, with them. But unfortunately, in the early stages of that journey, John Mark abandoned the mission and he returned home. And so that caused some friction between Barnabas and Paul, and it came to a head a couple of years later. This is what we read. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. And since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and they travelled throughout Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. You know, this is no mild spat. This is a full-on quarrel. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. And you know, on the one hand, Barnabas wanting to take John Mark, it kind of smacks of favouritism, right? You know, wanting to bring along his nephew, look after him, look out for him. But on the other hand, it's likely that Barnabas was just believing that everyone deserved a second chance. But Paul was totally not convinced. He felt that John Mark lacked the stamina, lacked the strength, strength, and he was going to be more of a hindrance than a help. And so the real tragedy of this is that the depth of friendship was lost. Neither Barnabas nor Paul were willing to budge, and so in the end they're forced to go their own separate ways. How often have you seen that happen in Christian circles? Sometimes Christians can just be so obstinate, so rigid, so, so dogmatic in their views that they disregard and dismiss where other people are at. And that's tragic, but it's also a terrible witness to the world. And there's no record of Paul and Barnabas praying over the situation. 
no hint that they were willing to submit and, and follow God's leading. And, and yes, I get that it was complicated, right? And yes, both men had elements of truth in their position, but still, surely, surely there was a way that they could have worked that out. Well, in the end, God's goodness and grace shine through, and ultimately, John Mark learned from his past failures. He sorts himself out, and he gets back on the team. And if you read through the rest of the New Testament record, you'll see about 10 years later, uh, we find Paul has had a change of heart. We don't know all the details, but somewhere along the way, John Mark has proven himself worthy as a co-worker, and he is reinstated by Paul. So Paul's in a prison cell, and he writes to his friend Timothy, and he says, Bring John Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. And so with the passing of time, it seems that Paul is humble enough to concede that, yep, maybe Barnabas's optimism, it was valid. And maybe John Mark is worthy of encouragement. Maybe he did deserve a second chance. There's even a hint that, that Barnabas and Paul reconciled some of their differences. Five years later... Uh, after this incident, Paul writes a letter to the Christian church. And, and in it, he mentions Barnabas with mutual respect and, and a degree of affection. And some commentators think there was a, a reconnection among the two friends. And so maybe that's the silver lining to this, that Barnabas's optimistic outline, uh, outlook comes through. He saw the best in people. He wanted to encourage people, enthuse people, empower people. And he was willing to give people a second chance. I wonder if there's anyone that you need to offer a second chance to. Maybe it's that colleague who is just really inefficient and really ineffective. Like they've got one big hand and one little hand and they just don't know how to make things work. Maybe it's a friend who's an emotional mess or a relative who's just constantly fueling the family dramas. Maybe it's a child or a student who's just really slow to learn that particular lesson. Maybe it's a parent who just stubbornly refuses to budge. You know, in our society, second chances seem to be like a fading feature. But Christians are called to be countercultural. And as tough as it is sometimes, offering a second chance should be one of our core characteristics. Because I'm pretty sure that you've benefited from a second chance. Maybe it was at work, maybe in your marriage, maybe at school, at church, down your street with a neighbour. You know, there's definitely a second chance that I can think of that you might have experienced. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave up his life to give you a second chance. His selfless sacrifice on the cross gave you the opportunity to reconnect with God, to find forgiveness for your sins, to, to find restoration for your soul. And so when Christians gather, they remember this event in what's known as communion. It's just a very simple, symbolic meal, a little bit of bread, a little bit, bit of juice, but it represents a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance. And you know what I find encouraging is that even when I am at my worst, God offers us his best. Paul, years later, put it like this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm going to invite you to uh, share communion. There's a couple of tables at the front and one on the back. And 
On there you'll find a little bit of bread, a little bit of juice, feel free to take that. But you'll also find a couple of, um, you'll find some name tags. Little name tags which look like this, you know, a little sticker. And uh, on the screen, I'm also going to put some of the characteristics of Barnabas, which we've just unpacked very, very simply. He was a generous giver. He was a strong supporter, and he was a second chance encourager. And so when you come to the tables and, and take communion, I want to invite you to write on that name tag one of those characteristics which you want to see more in your life. Like if you could choose a nickname, if you could highlight a positive characteristic which you really want to see, this is it. A giver, a supporter, an encourager. And so once you've written it, feel free to rip that off and, um, and stick that little sticker where you're going to see it often. I mean, you're welcome to put it on your top, your, you know, here this morning, but I'm guessing at some point that's going to go through the washing machine, so it's not going to last long. You might want to stick it on your Bible or the back of your phone case or your diary or the bathroom mirror or your car dash or the fridge. Some place that you go a lot and see as a reminder of, of a nickname, of a characteristic which you would love to see more of in your life. All good? Okay. Feel free when you're ready. I hope that's uh, helpful for you. I do want to just say as we kind of <clears throat> draw our time to a close that living the Christian life, you know, you don't have to do it on your own. If you call ABC your home, then you are part of a community of people who are in your corner, <clears throat> you know, cheering you on, encouraging you, encouraging you to live and love like Jesus. And I really urge you to tap into that. Get involved, get immersed in the church life, join a home group, like I said, or a service team on a Sunday, or even just volunteer in one of our ministries here, because life is better when we do that together. And I also want to remind you that God himself is with you. So if you've committed yourself to God, he has committed himself to you with his Holy Spirit. He is walking alongside you every step of the journey. Barnabas knew this. This is how his friend Luke described Barnabas. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. You know, may that description be true for all of us, that we'd be good men and women, that we'd be full of the Holy Spirit and strong in our faith as we encourage one another to live in love like Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we are just grateful that when we're at our worst, you are at your best. And we're grateful for Jesus and all that he has given to us and his commitments to us. We just pray this week that we would be like Barnabas, would be generous givers, would be strong supporters, would be second chance encouragers, and would lift up others through the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. In your name we pray. Amen.